Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Nicole. And I'm Gina. And today we are dishing with Jennifer Anderson of Eating with Color. But first, a little catch up. Gina, what's going on? Yeah, not a whole lot. Uh, You know, still working on having three clients at a time for my intuitive eating and wellness virtual coaching. Uh, If you're interested, I will probably be taking a new one starting in uh, mid to late October. So just reach out to me if you're interested in that. Nick and I have our 10-year wedding anniversary coming up. So September 29th, we will be celebrating 10 years. I don't know what we're doing yet. We, uh, I don't know if he's planning something. I'm not expecting anything, but I, I wanted to do like a cooking class, one of those Thrilla Top cooking classes. That's what I mentioned to him. And then maybe we we're going to get a, like a, say at a hotel downtown or something, but no concrete plans as of yet. But yeah, 10 years, it's uh, gone pretty fast. Well, happy anniversary. Yeah, thank you. It just soaking up uh, what we can left of summer and, you know, kids, kids back soccer starting or will have started maybe by the time this is coming out. But uh, the fall is just busy. I'm glad we're limiting to like soccer only, but the girls are both playing. So Shay is, I think, on Monday nights. Piper is on Thursday, or maybe I have that backwards. Doesn't matter. We still have to be there both nights. And then they have games on Saturday and just the weekends in general, because we have the two fall birthdays, Piper's six, and then Shay will be eight on October 6th. Their birthday is coming up. We've got um, our travel up north coming. So it's just Mark's birthday is thrown in there. He's got a guy's trip to Indianapolis one weekend. So our fall just kind of like, I feel like, yeah, Halloween's going to be here before we know it. And we're actually traveling that night for a wedding. So just lots going on there. Um, otherwise, yeah, just trying to enjoy summer moving into fall, really. Have you done Good anything time. pumpkin yet? Fall. Well, we made pumpkin cookies last night. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Nick was Nick was gone all day for a stupid football draft or baseball. I don't even know. What is it? Football. <laughs> um, so he was golfing all day and then he did that draft. So we and it was a crappy weather. Uh, so we went to Target and got some fun stuff, including pumpkin cookies, which were actually really. Del- no, I'm talking. I did not make pumpkin cookies. They were a the dough was already made. I put them on a pan and baked them and they were delicious. I have to say it was Pillsbury if you're interested. Uh, all right. So before we begin, just a quick favor to ask, since you like this podcast, please write us a review. Reviews on iTunes are everything to us and they help us reach more people. Of course, we'd appreciate it so much. All right. So today we are in, we are interviewing Jennifer Anderson. Uh, you might know her. She is a registered dietitian and has a master's of science in public health from Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. In 2019, she founded Kids Eat in Color, a resource that helps families feed their children from their first bite of solid food through picky eating and elementary-aged nutrition needs. Prior to starting Kids Eat in Color, she coordinated youth nutrition programs at a food bank, performed research in inner-city food deserts, and consulted for the USDA National Office SNAP-Ed program. Her academic background is in public health nutrition, cultural anthropology and economics. Now we're going to welcome Jennifer Anderson to the show. 
All right, Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. All right. Just for those listening and for us, of course, just give us a brief overview of you and a little bit about your business. Sure. So I'm a registered dietitian. I'm a mom of two. And when my son was a baby, he stopped gaining weight around nine months old. And I'm standing in the pediatrician's office and she says he stopped, he hasn't gained weight. And I was shocked. I was, <laughs> I felt so guilty. I was like, but I'm a dietitian. He's supposed to eat really well. Mm-hmm. Of course, kids don't really care what you do for your job. Um, and that was really the start of me understanding that feeding kids is tricky. My second son was very slow to learn to like new foods and still is sometimes. And um, around the time my first son was three, I thought, you know what? I can't be the only parent struggling with this. And it turns out I wasn't. I started an Instagram account, which grew very quickly. And now Kids Eat in Color is a resource for parents from their child's first iron-rich bite of food all the way through you know, deciding what to send for a school lunch and what to feed their child, um, along with picky eating in the middle. And we have a whole team of experts. And it's just been a really amazing experience to see parents come together as a community to help each other and for us to be able to serve parents in this way. Wow. I love your Instagram account. (laughs) (laughs) I I send people to it all the time. And we've had a couple different dietitians on the podcast in the past who focus on balanced eating in kids. What would you say makes your approach and your services a bit unique? Sure. So I think that what makes Kids Eat in Color unique is that I'm really coming to parents from a deep place of empathy. It's not just that I'm not judging parents, and it's not just that our team is not judging parents. It's that we give parents permission to be real people in the real world with real constraints. And if a family isn't able to live up to a best practice or a perfectly balanced meal or perfect amount of variety or whatever you want, we give permission to parents to believe that they're still doing a good job and that what they're doing right now is really good and is best for their family. That's so refreshing to hear. (laughs) (laughs) And so somewhat... Along that, are picky eaters, would you say, born that way? Or do we as caregivers play a role in creating them? So there are many reasons that children become picky. We know that there's a very strong genetic component, especially to food neophobia, which is the fear of new foods. And in that sense, we know that there's an aspect of something that the parents can't necessarily control. I have parents every day send me a DM that says, my child ate everything. I've done everything right. I've done everything that every person has ever said. And I have a child who's eating five foods. The reality is we cannot control everything that's going on the inside of kids. And so much of picky eating is a result of what is going on the inside that we can't see. And so while yes, environment plays a really important role and parents can enable picky eating. And in some cases, they can cause picky eating. But on the other side, and just as important, is that some kids are really born with a predisposition to picky eating. And you can do everything right 
and you can still end up with a picky eater. Yeah, I, uh, I'm just thinking about what you said and writing it down because I think that that it just, it's just a, such a good explanation. I think about my own two kids. And of course, I, when you say some parents cause the picky eating, I don't think you mean it like it's their fault. Because here's the thing, even people like us, dietitians, who feel like I know what's best for my kids and how not to create a picky eater. I look back and there are some things that I did that I didn't even realize I was doing that probably caused them to be more choosy or picky, um, you know, at that stage and beyond. And it's not about, you know, shaming parents, obviously, which is what you said. Uh, but just accepting it and moving on and changing once you realize that maybe some of the things that you were doing weren't exactly right. So I think that that's, um, I think that you said it, you, you nailed it right there. So one of the reasons why we love your Instagram uh, account so much. Well, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how much you know about our podcast or sort of about our philosophy uh, as far as eating and um, what we do as dietitians, but we're just we're both pretty big on intuitive eating and not putting pressure on kids to eat certain foods. Um, do you have that same philosophy uh, that kids will do best when not pressured and by leading by example? Yes, absolutely. And I really think that's supported by the evidence that we have in the research literature at this point. Um, well, there are some cultures and there are some families that successfully do things like hey, we have a one bite rule. And I always like to acknowledge the variety of experiences that families have and that cultures have. And I have seen some families where it's just kind of like, hey, this is the thing. Everybody takes a bite of all the foods, but it's different. It's different than the parent saying, you have to take a bite and um, or else you're not going to get dessert or you're not going to be able to get down from the table. That's very different. And I don't even promote that. I really do promote the idea that when you give your child space and time to learn to like foods and you do model and you continue to serve those foods, you're going to have really good outcomes long term, even if in the short term, it's not quite as fast for all kids. For some kids, it's, it's going to be fine. But really, modeling and exposure are probably the most important things that you can do for your child to help them learn to like foods. Yeah. Just from my own experience as a mom, I would completely agree with that. And you're right. I can't tell you. I mean, they what do they say? That your child has to be exposed to something what, like 20 times before they might actually try it. You know what? Numbers, there but... are so many numbers that people throw <laughs> out there. I mean, <laughs> there's so many things like eight tastes, 21 exposures, 20 exposures. Honestly, I'm like, why, <laughs> why are they yeah. trying to figure that out? Because everybody's so different. I mean, my child was exposed to tomatoes for three and a half years, which, you know, was probably like 150 exposures. And then, and then he decided he would actually eat one and then he liked it, right? right? I have a follow-up question, Jennifer. When you say an exposure, does that mean simply having it in the home that others at the table are eating it? Does that mean putting it on your child's plate? Uh, what like what does that mean? Sure. So in my from my perspective, every sight, taste, touch, smell, all those things, every one of those things counts because for one, if you don't have it in your home and your child's not seeing it, for sure they're not going to eat it. But also if your child has had no experience and they have a lot of internal hurdles to overcome, they're not going to eat it. They're not just going to go from 
seeing it to eating it, right? They're going to have to have a lot more interactions. And I find when parents really embrace the wins of every single interaction that a child has with foods, when they embrace that as a real win on their part, it helps us keep going when we feel successful. And when we're like, hey, I did this and no, he didn't take a bite um, and it wasn't on his plate, but you know what? That's really great. And I did it. Like, good job me, right? And then Mm -hmm. I want to do it again. It kind of going back to what you said about the certain families might, you know, sort of require that they take a bite or try something. I know I did that for a while and it sort of, it just didn't work for us. And we had, I don't know if you're aware of Sally Kuzumchak. She is the author of the Real Mom Nutrition blog, uh-huh. uh, actually from Columbus, Ohio, which is where I live. And uh, we had her on the podcast not too long ago. And she was talking about this whole idea of the no thank you bite and how she used to do that with her kids. And then she sort of realized that it's sort of setting your kids up for not liking the food. And I've heard so many people tell me, yeah, I have my kids have this no thank you bite. And I think the same thing, you're already putting a negative connotation on the food by calling it a no thank you bite. So why would the kid try it? And why would you even assume that they're going to like it? I mean, it's almost like even (laughs) if they did like it, they feel like they're they need to say, I don't like it because it's the no thank you bite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so kind of if, if you want to get me on a soapbox, let's talk about the no thank you bite. Um, <laughs> first of all, I love Sally and love her blog. Yeah. Um, I always read her newsletter when I get it. But um, the no thank you bite, let's think about that for a second. When do you have to try something in order to say no thank you? What an awful precedent to set. (laughs) Now, first of all, again, I'm not judging parents. This is something that pediatricians recommend, that people recommend. It's an an idea out there. And obviously we try things and we hear things. We're like, oh, that sounds good. You know, so I definitely don't don't, um, judge any parents who are doing it. But I actually suggest people not do this. If you're going to do a one bite rule, fine. Do the one bite rule. Again, I don't recommend that, but it does work for some families. Um, No thank you bites or the one polite bite. I mean, when my child gets to age 16 and someone says, hey, do you want a cigarette? I don't want them to say, oh, you know what? I really need to try it before I say no thank you. And if six times a day, my child has been practicing their entire life, I have to try it before I say no thank you. I have to try it before I'm polite. That's a lot of practice for something that I don't even want them to be doing as an adult. You know, I want them to be able to say, oh, you know what? I'm going to listen to my gut. And, you know, you want to get geeky. You know, we talk about the interoception sense, which is the sense of hunger and fullness and internal states and emotions. I want them to have practice thinking about, am I hungry? Am I full? Does that make me worried? Does that make me scared? Does that make me feel apprehensive or happy or joyful or whatever? I want them to listen to that sense that they have and practice that six times a day because we're always feeding kids. And then maybe when they get to the cigarette situation, I'm like, hey, no way. You know, I don't have to be polite in order to say no. I mean, that would that would be my hope, right? Or or some other situation where they can stick up for themselves and where they can say, you know what? I really trust myself. Um, and we have such an incredible opportunity to, um, to give them that practice. And by saying, you know, 
It's just the name of it just really gets me. You don't have to try something in order to be polite. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fill in the blank situation. I love the, you, the, the cigarette, but yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about all the other situations that our kids will be in, either yeah. whether it involves drinking or food or, you know, jumping off a cliff, whatever it is. Right. You're so right. I, I had never thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's sort of on that same topic. I have personally found, and I know I've talked to friends who have noticed this too, but the less I push my kids to eat certain foods, the more likely they are to try new foods. And would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of it kind of depends on the um, temperament of your children. I have two amazingly creative and strong children. And let me tell you, if I was like, oh, you really have to try this, their immediate reaction would be like, no way. Now, there are some kids who really like to be compliant and please other people. And in that case, you're really kind of along the lines of that same no thank you bite. They want to please you instead of listen, listening to their body. Um, but yeah, I think for most kids, especially kids who are, are prone to be picky eaters, they want independence. They want to be able to have choice. And when we say, oh, you don't have to eat it. I mean, what battle are we going to have? You just told them they didn't have to do the thing. And now they have the choice. And for my child, who tends to be very selective, he knows very deeply that he never has to try something. And the few times that have been like, you have to try it, um, which, you know, it comes out of my mouth too. He just looks at me like, what are you talking about? I remember this one time I made a smoothie and I was kind of on this smoothie kick and I was trying to do different protein powders and you know, I give this smoothie to um, my son and he's like, this tastes like sand. And I was late for meeting and I was worried about him eating enough to maintain his growth. And so I'm in a rush and I'm stressed and all this stuff. And I was like, you, you, ha- you have to eat it. <laughs> you have to eat it. You have to drink it all. And you have to sit in your chair until you eat it. And um, even as I'm saying it, you know, in that moment, I'm like, wow, this is, this is not on brand for me. Um, and so he's like pushing back and he's like, no. And he's looking at me like, you've never, like, what is this? You know? And he gets in, gets in his chair and I, you know, he manages to take two more bites or, you know, sips of it. And, uh, he, he leaves for school and I'm rushing out the door and I grab his smoothie. Cause you know, I hadn't made my, made myself breakfast and, um, and I'm drinking it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this really tastes like sand. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I've had situations just like that with my daughter. Oh, she says it tastes like blank. And I'm like, no, it right. doesn't. I take a sip and, or, a, or a bite. And oh my gosh, <laughs> oh, this is really, this is really bad. But yeah. the interesting thing about that is for the next week, he practiced saying no, he was not going to eat whatever I gave him. And then he would look at me like, hey, am I going to get that song and dance again? <laughs> And I was like, oh, I shot myself in the foot. Now I had like, you know, a bunch of annoying days in a row. My child being like, no, I'm not going to eat it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it, and I think sometimes it's helpful too to think of a think of that whole situation as, as an adult. You know, like if, if we were, if we're, if we had someone who, who was like our parents still living with us as an adult and they said to you, you have to try this new food. For me, trying new foods is easy, but, or even just you have to finish what's on your plate or you have to eat this apple, even if it doesn't sound good to you, Gina. Just thinking about that, having to eat something that I have no interest in eating, it just sounds so unpleasant. So I had to remind myself that sometimes when I'm with my children. 
How would yeah. I like what I'm doing to them right now? Um, and then last thing I want to say about that is, is another tip. I don't know if you've done this, but you probably are already aware of this. But sometimes what I'll do when my kids won't try something and I, I don't make a big fuss about it really rarely, I will just kind of sit and eat it or even what's, oh, like I'll make something new and I won't even ask. I won't even tell them about it. I won't even mention it at all. And I'll just come in and I'll sit next to them and just start eating it. Like nothing is even interesting at all. And they will automatically look at me and say, oh, mom, what's that you're eating? Oh, it's just a blank. And then they'll want to take a bite. So me making not a big deal about it at all and just eating it myself and enjoying it gets them automatically interested in it. So yeah, it's that modeling. It's that modeling that we have with other people, you know, we want to participate. And, there, and there's also this aspect of like, why didn't you give me any? <laughs> exactly. I want to try that. Oh, yeah, you do? I, okay. <laughs> for sure. I've definitely had my children. I remember this one day I, I sat down with a bowl of salad and I, I was eating out of the bowl because I, I didn't think my kids were going to eat anything. And my, my son was like, why are you eating out of the bowl? You're not supposed to be eating out of the bowl, right? And I was like, well, I knew that you guys didn't want anything because you know, you're know you doing this and I didn't want to make another dirty dish. So offended, so offended. He, <laughs> both kids ate the rest of the salad and because they were just so offended that I wouldn't mm-hmm. share. <laughs> How dare you? But if you would have right. offered it to them before doing that, most likely they would have been like, no, I'm good. Right. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay, so sort of moving on from uh, the, well, it's actually the same same topic, but a little bit different. So on your Instagram once, you said that the most overlooked reason our kids aren't eating is because dessert. And can you explain that a little bit? Sure. So when, when a child it knows that dessert is coming and, you know, you say, oh, you can't have your dinner until dessert, they really fixate on that dessert. Mm-hmm. Like, I want the dessert. When am I getting the dessert? When am I getting my ice cream? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and then they don't eat and they're preoccupied and, and all this stuff. But if you're not making a big deal out of it, and maybe, maybe you even try putting a little bit on the side of their plate. Um, so they eat their ice cream and they're still hungry because you gave them like a child size portion. And, uh, you know, the, the battle is gone. The fascination is gone. And now they can eat their dinner. Um, and so when we're using dessert as a reward, as a bribe, um, we're making a big deal out of it, it really contributes to the, the idea that all other food is not as good and not as desirable. So would you, what do you think about the idea of then, I know you kind of just said this, but serving dessert with the meal is, when is that maybe a good idea and when might, might it not be? Sure. So it's not, it's not for everyone. And, um, you know, it can be really a far out idea for a lot of people. And it was for me initially, but, um, you know, if you've got a, if you are serving dessert regularly, or you do know it's coming and your child is fixated on that dessert and they're not eating their dinner because they're just waiting for dessert. I think putting a little bit on the side can be a really good strategy. We do that every once in a while. Um, we do not do dessert every night. That is too much for me to think about. Um, and uh, it's just not part of our family culture, but it shows up and sometimes it shows up for dessert, but because we've kind of been just kind of working on this, they know they can eat dessert or sorry, they, they can eat dinner and then 
when they get to dessert, they can eat as much as they want at that time. Now, if I serve it with a meal, I generally serve a small portion. That's kind of it. But they don't fixate on it because they know there's other times when they're going to eat as much as they want. I mean, you can also, you know, if I serve cookies and milk or an afternoon snack, you know, that's a snack. So they're going to eat as much as they want. And I think giving kids, trying different strategies and seeing what works for your family is really important because there's not one right way to handle dessert or candy or you fill in the blank for the food, um, watermelon even. Uh, there's not, not one right way for this, but I think there are a lot of strategies to kind of not add to the fixation on sweets. Mm-hmm. Oh, and on to another big topic, snacks. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I kind of hate them. Uh, all day, many kids, I would say mine are probably a little bit better than most. Uh, but I don't know why. <laughs> uh, but most kids and mine uh, want snacks, 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 snacks. What are your thoughts on snacks and how do you handle them with your children or recommend that uh, caregivers handle snacks with their kiddos? Sure. I think it's totally normal that a kid would want snacks all day. I mean, sometimes I want snacks all day, but it's extremely important from a health perspective to not let your child eat all day. Grazing is grazing, meaning a child is eating every hour or two. It really is associated with cavities, with um, uh, less nutrition consumption, with a more poor diet, like that sort of thing. That's not to say I'm judging any parent. I mean, I have for sure done my fair share of the never-ending snack vending machine the entire day. Um, But I think it's really important because sometimes we're like, oh, it doesn't really matter. At least they're eating. But I think there really are some reasons why you would want to consider serving snacks less regularly. In our family, we have a morning snack, we have an afternoon snack, and we have a bedtime snack. My child, um, you know, because I've had a child who struggled to stay on the growth chart, that bedtime snack is really important for us. So, you know, families can decide what their routine is going to look like. But in our family, um, the kids know this is what it looks like. And so they've kind of been trained over time to do that. I think the other side of that is sometimes we think of snacks as just like um, goldfish crackers. Um, my kids love goldfish crackers, and honestly, so do I. Uh, they are delicious. Mm-hmm. But when we only serve goldfish crackers, your child is going to be hungry in 10 minutes. And one of the reasons I bring this up is not to say it's bad to serve a snack of goldfish crackers, but it is very annoying to have a child asking you for snacks all the time, right? And so to me, the strategy for our own sanity is really to say, in addition to the gold cracker, the goldfish crackers, um, what else can I add on that's going to keep my child full until lunch or to dinner or, or whatever it is, right? And so when I think of snack as a really substantial eating opportunity, then I don't have to deal with snacks as much. Now, again, we live in the real world. In the United States, food is kind of everywhere all the time. Um, I think other cultures do a lot better at kind of maintaining an eating structure. But it it functions in a couple of ways. When you are thinking of, of snacks as a really substantial eating opportunity, they're probably going to get more nutrition, which is a bonus. They're probably going to um, ask you for less 
snacks, which is a huge bonus. And then they're also going to be more hungry for that lunch that you make or that dinner or whatever it is. And so I think it is a real win. Of course, obviously, initially, there's going to be a lot of pushback. And like I said, there's plenty of days when my kids are like, oh, but I really want to stack right now. And it's, it's tricky. But once you're kind of over the hump and you're into routine, there is less whining and there is more of an expectation that they're going to have a chance to really eat when it's snack time. Yeah, I, I think what you're saying is very important. I, I, I don't like to have necessarily food rules, but there is one thing that I always think about when it comes to snacks and it is how close are we to the next meal? And if we're more than 30 minutes away from the next meal, I just think to myself, okay, if I was hungry and I knew I wasn't going to be fed for another 30 to 45 minutes, I would want something to eat uh, to sort of make me so I'm not ravenous at my next meal and to sort of make me feel comfortable. So I think about that when I'm preparing or considering whether to give my kids a snack when they're asking for it. We're not as regimented as as what it sounds like you are just because our schedules are all over the place. I, you know, we're away from the home sometimes, but sometimes we're home with the kids on the weekend. So it's not quite as, we don't have quite as a schedule, but generally speaking, it's the same as you, like a morning snack, an afternoon snack, and then a bedtime snack. But it does start to kind of get out of hand a little bit every once in a while. And then I just kind of ask myself, (laughs) how close are we to the next meal? But I think you're so right. Like my kids, when they say, when they think of snacks, they go right to the pantry and they grab, you know, the little cookie package or the yeah, the goldfish or the Ritz crackers or nothing the bars, with protein. The bars. Yes. <laughs> and even bars, though, I would say sometimes are a better choice because they have either protein or fiber or fat, you know, that can help mm-hmm. them stay fuller longer, like what you were saying. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, that's not like what are the ones they oh, they brought they wanted to buy llama bars the other day. I don't know if you guys have heard these, but they're basically like a candy bar, but I let them buy them. Sure. Um, so that's been the latest, you know, little desire. I want a snack. And but anyway, yeah, <laughs> I have, I've actually started to um, help my kids kind of understand the nutrition label. Um, and I don't want them to kind of fixate on it, but also I want to say in how they understand that nutrition facts label, I don't want diet culture <laughs> to, yes. to tell them what it means. And of course they're reading. So, you know, they're, um, they're starting to figure this stuff out, but I also like to have them kind of understand is this like a protein food? Because I'm trying to just help them understand what would a balanced snack look like? What would a substantial snack look like? Um, It's going to have some protein. It's going to have some color and it's going to have an energy food. Now, of course, all food has energy in it. But when I talk about an energy food, I kind of, um, I kind of help them understand this is a food that's going to give you essentially as an adult, this is going to give you calories. It's going to give you carbohydrates, right? Really that, that the focus of that is energy, right? And so that's kind of how I help them understand the energy, the protein, the, um, the color. And, but it can be really tricky, especially when it comes to bars. Is it a protein food or is it an energy food, right? And so I kind of developed this little kind of back of the envelope rubric for them. It's like, look, you look at the back of the package and it says four grams of protein. Let's call that a protein food. If it, if it uh, has less, then that's an energy food. And so if you have an energy food, you're going to need to find a protein food to add to that in addition to some color. Just a basic framework for understanding how do I put together a balanced snack? And somehow, <laughs> I don't even know how this has happened. One of my kids is like suddenly 
fixated on protein. <laughs> He's like, oh, this has 10 grams of protein. It must be really healthy. Um, he didn't say healthy, but he's like, oh, that mean, it must mean it's really good. I'm like, no, 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 no. All, all foods are really important. Even my husband is like, um, and even if it didn't have any protein, it would still be a great food. Uh, but it's interesting how kind of kids start to understand these sorts of things and, and understand, okay, is this really going to help me stay full a long time? Or is this just kind of going to kind of be... Um, something that is going to be that energy component, but it's my kid, you know, they are going to be hungry if they just eat an apple and a llama bar. Right. Um, and I don't know that much. I don't remember the nutrition facts panel on a llama bar, but you know, that might not, they might still be hungry and they might, they might uh, be hungry, you know, 30 minutes later or something like that. So what's another thing that they can add on? Remind me how how old your kids are, because I'm thinking, uh, I'm just thinking about what you're saying. And I love the idea. I have not even, and I also love that you said before diet culture takes over, because I know that my kids, they haven't had their label lesson at school yet. And I'm mm. cringing just mm. thinking about it. I almost want to volunteer to do that talk because I'm afraid of what they're going to say. So yeah. I love the idea of teaching them first. So they start, kind of go in with some knowledge, some actual factual knowledge before yes. hearing it from their health teacher. Not Absolutely. that they're necessarily always going to be bad. I don't know, but I, my well, assumption I mean, is going to be similar to what I experienced. Let's be honest. The talk about calories is not going to be the talk that you want to give. I guarantee you in the vast majority of cases, um, that talk about calories is not mm. just going to be about energy fueling you. It's going to be that they're bad. Yeah, and I really, really want them to understand because, because of course, it's like it's huge, you know, calories, right? So um, big on the label, yeah, right. And so my kids are like, "What does that mean?" Well, that's a measure of energy. I love telling kids facts, you know. Um, my kids are now six and nine, but I began to have this conversation with them. I think when my oldest was six, um, five or six, because right around the age that they can read, that's when they really, you know, start to read those labels. I remember, you know, last year, my son gets an after, uh, after soccer game snack and he's like, what's skinny pop? I was like, uh, oh my gosh, my skinny pop. They were, they, so we had a party at, at Paige's school, Paige's my daughter, who's almost eight. And they, on the list of what to bring for the parents, they listed skinny pop. And I actually did reach out to the school and tell them to find something else. I didn't feel bad about it. And I'm glad that I said that because I don't, I know that that seems very, very picky, but it, the message just isn't good. I don't want my daughter or my son eating something that's called skinny pop. Right. I, so, I mean, I, uh, I was at a loss, honestly. I was so discouraged in that moment that I completely ignored it. I was just like, hey, let's get in the car and go. I just could, did not have the emotional capacity to have a conversation with him where I was like, oh yeah, and this world that you're growing up in is so obsessed with skinny that we're going to name food. Mm. We're going to name food after a body size. Mm -hmm. Ugh, so awful. Um, we will have that conversation. We will have that conversation. But in that moment, I was like, I, I cannot, I can't do it. Yep. It's too much for that, for that time. 
Okay. So moving on to fruits and vegetables, I I would just say for my kids, fruits and vegetables are really where they struggle. And I'm sure that I am one of many parents who believes this. It's just, it's hard. You know, they're not easy to put in the pantry and just leave in there all day. They have to be refrigerated. It's hard to even pack them in lunches sometimes, especially vegetables. So just do you have any basic strategies or tips for getting those, you know, at least two to three servings of fruits and vegetables a day on your kids' plates or just, yeah, what kind of tips do you have for that? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think the kind of the pat answer is serve it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Of course, that's what makes it so hard, right? It's especially, you know, we're working, we're taking kids all, all, taking care of kids all day. You know, maybe we're in a two parent household and we're both working and, um, you know, having that, having that food is, is really difficult. Um, I think, I think the other pat answer, which honestly has never worked for me, is kind of meal prep. Like, hey, mm-hmm. prep it ahead of time. Um, but honestly, like on the weekends, I don't want to be stuck in the kitchen prepping food when I could be hanging out with my kids who I don't see as much during the week because I'm working, right? Mm-hmm. So I think on the one hand, looking for those easier answers, right? Like what could I buy that's that's already prepped that I might be able to handle? Um, and kind of involving your child in that choice. Uh, what fruit do you want from the store today? What veggies do you want to try this week? Also dip. Like, I don't know why dip has gotten a bad rap, but if your child likes ketchup and it helps them eat broccoli, I don't care what the dip combination is. I don't care if it's ketchup. I don't care what the dip is. I don't care if it's quote full of fat. In fact, I like that because that have them, helps them absorb the, you know, the vitamins, but let them go at it. Let them eat a half a bottle of ranch dressing if they're going <laughs> to eat their veggies. I don't care, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, when we do make those exposures and we make them taste as good as possible, when we do put some cheese on the veggies and when we do make it soft enough that it's easier for them to chew, it can help. And, you know, there's plenty of days where, you know, my kids don't eat their veggies either. And uh, and neither do I, for, for that matter. Um, you know, we're on like, honestly, like a no veggie kick right now. It's just, it's just been so difficult to get the the food prepped and, and everybody's appetite. We just moved. And so everybody's like out of whack. Um, and you know what? I think like accepting those, those times and being like, Hey, it didn't happen. We're going to be okay. And, um, and then we're going to move on. And when I have more capacity, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this, but I, but I do think there's some some of those easy things like, hey, I'm going to buy the fruit when it's in season because it's going to taste better. I'm going to add a few spices if my family likes spices. I'm going to add a little bit of salt if my family can handle that and there's not a medical condition because salt decreases bitterness. I'm going to make, you know, I make kale with, um, uh, with chicken bouillon. It's like full of sodium. <laughs> but also my kids absolutely love kale and they eat it. And I'm like, well, I don't know, you know, no, that's not the best, but also they are eating kale. And so there's, there's this kind of trade-offs where you're like, okay, I'm going to add a little bit of cheese. I'm going to add some butter. I'm going to, maybe I'm going to add some bacon. Maybe I'm going to add, you know, the, the vegan butter, the, the coconut flavor, or like, you know, whatever it is, adding something that tastes good is going to help your child like it. And, and then I think really that preparation that makes it easy for them to eat. My mom always says, if you cut it, they'll eat it. And she's like, we went from eating two apples a week to eating 24 apples a week because I started cutting up the apples. (laughs) Mm. And 
um, she was like, yeah, it is more work for the food prep person. And I don't want to, <laughs> obviously, as one of the significant food prep people in our home, um, that's a thing, right? But if you do have the capacity and you can take a minute to actually cut the thing up, your child is going to be more likely to eat it most of the time. Although I do find sometimes little kids really love to grab a head of broccoli and eat the head of broccoli raw, or they like to eat a bell pepper like an apple, or they like to, you know, an older kid who's beyond the choking hazard phase might like to eat a whole carrot raw, you know, so some of those things can, can be fun. Um, but it is kind of one of those hit or miss things where you kind of have to weigh the capacity, your child and, um, in your budget and so many other things. I just was reminded of my son who's five. I, I sliced up some cucumbers and strawberries and put them out on a plate yesterday, just a little bit before dinner and to have with dinner. And my son just goes in the refrigerator and grabs the rest of the English cucumber and just starts eating it. Like he just likes cucumber whole. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I love it. He's been doing that since he was probably two or three. I think maybe yeah. for his maybe teeth growing in at the time, maybe not. But yeah, that's how he still does it. So my yeah. husband even eats that if I eats more if I cut it off. Absolutely, you know, people underestimate the the um, value of convenience. Like people don't like to chew any more than they have to. <laughs> and when you take that one bite out of it by cutting it up, it's just so much easier. And also, here's another thing, toothpick magic. Mm. You put a toothpick in it, I've, I'm so certain it increases their willingness to eat something by like 80%. Or it a is, kebab stick. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to use that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. let me know how it goes. <laughs> I will. If What about for children who don't perhaps eat what we would consider a healthy, balanced diet, which is probably most kids? What tips do you have for being patient and allowing them to discover and realize on their own that balanced eating actually makes them feel their best? Yeah, I think this is really tricky and and it's hard for parents when they can see their child for some reason is not thriving in the way that they want them to. I know that was really hard for me when my son did eat a balanced diet, but he didn't eat enough, right? And, you know, there's these these moments at the table where you just want to like pick up your child and say, you're not, you're not healthy. You have to eat more. You're not going to be healthy. And I remember having these conversations with my husband. And he's like, can't we just tell him that he has to eat more? And I was like, I just don't think that's an evidence-based practice is actually going to help long-term, you know? Um, when we look at kind of our existing evidence-based and the research literature, which of course can change, right? So we always take a humble approach to looking at research literature because, you know, it's always developing. But when we look at that, it's like, you know what? When parents are pressuring their kids, it's not really associated with a... Uh, a more desirable health outcome. It really is often associated with a child maybe eating more than their body needs or eating less than their body needs. And um, I was like, can we just stay the course and just kind of let him make those choices? Um, and, you know, there's a lot of sleepness, sleepless nights that go with a decision like that. But I think the reality is 
when you're forcing a child to do something, it's not usually going to give you the results that you want, right? If, if a child is not hungry and you're pushing them to eat and eat, I don't know if you've ever had the experience where um, even as a dietitian, I feel like I'm more susceptible to that. It's like, hey, hemp hearts are amazing for you. I'm going to add them to everything because if I added them to everything, you know, all these you know, healthy fats and, and you know, whatever the package says, right? Um, and uh, it's going to be great. And so I put hemp hearts on everything and kind of push myself to eat it a little bit. And then, you know, within like three days of actually pushing myself to eat it, I'm like, I never want to eat a hemp heart ever again. Um, and we can even do that to ourselves. We can burn ourselves ourselves out on these foods just by pushing ourselves to finish the plate or pushing ourselves to eat the thing. And next thing we know, we look at it and it's nauseating. And the same thing happens when we push our kids. And so I think, well, you might be able to get them in the short term to eat more carrots or to eat more veggies. Um, you know, it's not going to make them like it more. And they might actually end up eating less or not eating that food at all. Yeah, I think that every single person I've ever met, as far as when I'm, you know, in a dietary consult with them or they're talking about sort of their childhood and, you know, how they learn to like certain foods or dislike certain foods, it's always, you know, I was forced to eat blank and now I'll never eat it again. Yeah. I mean, uh, you won't then, see me drinking milk ever, <sighs> never, never, never. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I would say one of the lucky ones. I, my parents really didn't force me to eat much. And I was also not, and still am not a choosy or picky eater. So they just maybe just had it easy. So they never had to do that, but I'll just give them credit for never forcing me to eat anything. But you can, I, I love, and I'm sure you've, I know you're familiar with intuitive eating, but what you just said also reminds me of just that whole idea of habituation where it can kind of, it's a good thing when you're giving yourself unconditional permission to eat desserts, for example, because eventually you will actually get sick of yeah. fill on the blank chocolate. Like yeah. if you actually give yourself unconditional permission to eat chocolate whenever you want it, you're not going to want it as much as you, as you do when you're restricting it. Right. Which of course is, is good for the chocolate, but you can have the same effect uh, with healthy or, you know, more nutritious foods for your kids where they're going to get sick of it and then never want it again or want yeah. it in limited amounts. Yeah. All right. So just before we sort of wrap up, I, I know your website is full of wonderful resources. Do you want to just kind of talk to us about what you offer? And I also want you to kind of tell us a little bit about your family meal plans and recipes that you have on your website. Yeah, so the Kids in Color website is really a resource center for families from their child's first bite of iron-rich foods all the way through the picky eating of toddlerhood and young childhood and really all the stages for kids um, from early eating all the way through elementary school. And we really want parents, you know, when they have a question to come there and to find an answer and to say, wow, this is really helpful. We also have a picky eater screener. <clears throat> so the family comes to the website and they're thinking, wow, you know, I have a picky eater. Is this typical or is this something more? We find that this is something that parents wonder a lot. And so we've set up, you know, it's a quick screener, one, two minutes. And then we tell you, 
you know, is this typical behavior or is this something more? Would this put your child at risk of something? And um, so there's just so many useful tools and resources on that site. And we do offer, you know, some really comprehensive, wonderful courses as well. Because sometimes we find, you know, if you have an extreme picky eater, that's really stressful and you want a community. You want other people who understand. And so our picky eater program actually has a community um uh community component to it. So that people aren't really feeling alone as they're learning this stuff. Um, and of course, if they want kind of, hey, I just want to know the basics of child feeding and how to feed my toddler or my child, you know, we have this super fun, innovative course um, that parents can take. It's funny, it's quick, and parents really love it. We do have uh, meal plans as well. You know, you are you busy and you want to take the brain work out of eating? I created a meal plan called Real Easy Weekdays, and it's really a system that kind of teaches you how to increase variety in your home and also have repetition to help kids who are a little hesitant to try new foods and uh, to really kind of give you tools to understand how would I put together a plan that helps me not have to think as much because, you know, the mental load of parenting is just so overwhelming. And of course, if you want snack ideas and and lunchbox ideas, we have those those recipe guides as well. Um, but really, it's an amazing place for parents to come, and whether they want to learn from our psychologist or you know our pediatrician, we have so many different resources for them. Ooh, that is amazing. So you so you just said this. Who's who, who else on your team? It sounds very interdisciplinary. Who who do you have on your team? You yeah, so we have but... a health and development team, and we have um, we have a pediatrician, we have a psychologist, we have an eating disorder dietitian, um, uh, a dietitian who's like a pro mom. We have a um, an educational specialist to help us understand. How do kids learn? How do little kids learn? How can we communicate and develop little kids? And then um, we also have two occupational therapists. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. I uh, This has been just an amazing interview. We really, really appreciate your time so much. And thank you. Yes, thank you. Absolutely. It was delightful. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, that was an awesome interview. I She just... I don't know if you if if our listeners have been to her Instagram, but go ahead and check that out because she just has a wealth of great little videos and uh, graphics to share that are just so helpful at at any stage of of your child's uh, growth and development. So just thank you so much, Jennifer, for being on the show. Nicole, mom wins favorite new products or recipes. All right. You inspired me. I think it was it was on a recent episode. I can't remember which one where you made Paige's cake out of boxed cake mix. Is that right? Probably. Yes. But you made it layered, right? Oh, yeah. Three layers. Three layers. Okay. So I did the same thing for Piper's birthday. And I will probably do this again for their actual birthday party, joint birthday party uh, later on. But this chocolate, it's called a chocolate buttercream frosting. It's from Joy the Baker, but this frosting is, I just realized my go-to. So I'm including the link here. 
in the show notes, but it's the frosting specifically that you want to want to go to. So it's of course, butter, um, and then some heavy cream, a little bit of whole milk, Ovaltine. That's the magic ingredient, Ovaltine. Oh. So it's like a little bit of malt flavor in there that kind of lightens it and makes it fluffy. Uh, cocoa powder, powdered sugar, basically. A little bit of vanilla. I think that's it. But anyway, you just wow. mix it all together. It is the best frosting I've ever had. And it's super simple. Huh. I just keep Ovaltine on hand for this purpose, which, by the way, nutritionally, I'm kind of like, hmm. This is pretty like decent stuff. I don't know. Have you ever mm-hmm. looked at the ingredients? I I just I'm having this flashback of the Ovaltine commercials when I was a kid. I didn't even honestly I didn't even know it still existed. <laughs> yeah, Mark's like, where do I find it in the grocery store? I'm like, I don't know. I couldn't tell it's you. It's a powder, right? It's a powder. Yeah. Yeah. That you're supposed to add water to or milk. Yeah. Or add to milk or water. Yeah. Yes. Which <laughs> I did. Ovaltine. It was okay. really good. <laughs> I I would I would try that for sure. If you're making cake, make this make this buttercream to go with it. Okay. Okay. Love it. Thank you for sharing that. I do love a good buttercream. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> All right. So I have tons of cookbooks and every once in a while, I'll just kind of flip through some and see if there's, because I will tell you a lot of the cookbooks I, I got I, or I purchased years ago, it was when I was following a low FODMAP diet and or had a pretty bad relationship with food. So I only marked ones that at the time I would be willing to eat, which wasn't a whole lot. So now I'm sort of re-going through those and there's so many more options now that I actually eat whatever I want, um, whatever I know makes my body feel good. And so I found this recipe for peanutty noodles and I thought this sounds really, really good. And I know it's probably something that you've made before on your uh, for your uh, blog. And you probably have a recipe like this in one of your cookbooks too, but this was from Cooking Light and it was relatively simple, which of course I loved only about seven steps, but they're very simple steps. It could have probably been three or four steps in all, but lots of vegetables. So carrots, ginger, garlic, and then of course, soy sauce and peanut butter for the sauce, rice vinegar, white vinegar, uh, chili, garlic sauce, salt, uh, snow peas, red bell peppers, linguine, Honestly, everything came together and just made a really delicious meal. We all downed it. I will say even the kids were, they have just been like, I've, we've talked about this before in this very, very choosy state and I'm not giving up. So I, I keep, keep giving them new things and they actually, I'm not going to say they, you know, ate it up and licked the plate, but they didn't, you know, scoff at it. And uh, they, they, I, I think that they enjoyed it. So it will be uh, a repeat recipe for sure. Uh, and again, relatively simple, only took about a half an hour to make. And I think it actually saved pretty well as a leftover too. Uh, so I highly recommend that. All right. Well, that's it. Coming up on September 25th, We will be dishing out another self-care episode on alcohol with Sumner Brooks. Very excited about that one. Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitian's Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. And uh, be sure to check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com. Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. And if you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds. All right, everyone, until next time, be well. Nicole, talk to you soon. Take care, Tina. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.